Amen, and please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me now to Genesis chapter 9. This morning we will be continuing our study of Genesis 1 through 11, and even more narrowly, continuing our study of God's covenant with Noah and his sons after the flood. Three weeks ago, when we started this section, we noted that God is really renewing his promises that he made to Adam and Eve, promises to life, promises to fruitfulness, uh, promises to preservation. And this morning, we will see what is probably the, one of the most important um, or most memorable, excuse me, parts of the story of Noah. Here, God gives a sign, and it is a sign of remembrance that God will not destroy the earth in the same way again. This sign being the sign of the rainbow. And while there's much we could say about the rainbow and its use in modern culture as a symbol of the celebration of sin, which is remarkable, what is remarkable to me, regardless of that, is this sign still stands today. What God placed in the sky many thousands of years ago is still in effect today and still today bears the same remembrance. We as people of God today, when we see the rainbow in the sky, which we may be blessed with after the service, um, if the timing works out, um, I'm, I'm not very good at that, but when you see it, the next time you see it, you are to remember that which God said here to Noah and what was promised in it. And what's also remarkable, and I want you to consider this morning, it's not just for you. That symbol, as much as it is, and everything I said I believe is true to this point, God also says, as you will see in the text, He will look every time the rainbow is in the sky. And He will remember the promises made. And He will keep that which he has said he will keep. And so we get this beautiful covenant sign that serves both for us and for God a reminder of what he has done and what he continues to do. And this is a fantastic section of scripture in that it delivers that for us. This is very good for you and for me today. With that in mind, please turn with me to our text as we read of God's promise of provision and of life. I will begin in Genesis chapter 9, verse 8, and I will read through verse 17. You can also find this on the insert uh, that came alongside your bulletin. This is the word of the Lord. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you, for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, 
I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and between every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. And he has promised, just as the rain will water the grass, so too will his word deliver that which we need for life today. Let us once again go to him in prayer and ask his blessing on this time. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we need you today. We need you more than we even realize, for you are the ones that are sustaining our lungs and our hearts at this very moment. And if you cease to do so, we would cease to be. But as you have told us in your word, now that we have heard it, unless your spirit go before us and open our eyes and our hearts, we will not receive it. And so I plead with you, O God, that through your spirit you would grant us understanding today that we might hear and believe and trust in and rest upon your covenant promise, that which you gave to Noah, and said would be for all generations. Grant all of these things we ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. It's important to remember the backdrop with which we find our passage this morning. The world has just been unmade and remade through the waters of judgment. Death came to all those who rejected God and instead sought their own sinful ways. God protected Noah and his family through shutting them in the ark. Literally, God closed the door. God kept them safe on the ark for over a year. It was a long journey. And when the time came, they left the ark along with the animals, constructed an altar and offered sacrifices to the Lord. And it's in light of all of this that we get the covenant promises made in our passage today and that covenant sign to really sear them into our memory. There's been a great deal of judgment just before these words of perseverance. And it would be inappropriate for us to uncouple the two. Um, this is our passage for this morning, but what we're really looking at is chapter 9 as a whole, and, and really what we're, we're looking at is all the way back to chapter 6 through chapter 9, um, the totality of the story of Noah. And so with that in mind... I want us to consider that creation itself calls us to remember God's promises. Because of this, we should appreciate the natural world. Man's mandate is to care for and to see about creation because it reflects God's love and His mercy and His kindness and because it is our duty given to us by God. It's also important to realize that Noah and his family would have seen the world very differently post-flood than they did before they entered the ark, and we should too. Because of this, I want us to see our text this morning in two sections. First, I want us to consider the provisions of this covenant. What is being provided? What is God offering in this covenant contract? We will look specifically at verses 8 through 11 to see this. 
And then secondly, we will spend some time looking at the sign that is a reminder, that is a constant to point us back to those provisions. What did God do and how should we remember it? We find that second section in 12 through 17. And so that's the, the dichotomy we have before us this morning. What is God doing and how should we remember it? And how does it apply to us today? That's what we will spend our time focusing on this morning. Let's begin by seeing what is provided in this covenant agreement. God says, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth, as many as came out of the ark. And while we're hearing this right here, it's important to remember this is not the first time this has been spoken. This is not necessarily new. If you went back to the beginning of the story of Noah, Genesis 6, verse 18, you would hear similar words. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. So what we really have here is a set of bookends. God saying in Genesis 6, I will establish my covenant with you, and it will be with you and your family and with all those that enter the ark. Genesis chapter 9, I have established my covenant with you and with your family and with all of the things that entered into the ark. And what we have in the middle of that, in between that, is in some ways a testimony. Why do we say that? Well, they're out of the ark. They're post-flood. They lived. The animals lived. Their family, his family, lived and so when God says here, I am establishing my covenant with you, their mind would have said, just like you protected me for the past just over a year and a half, just like you taught me how to build the ark, just how you brought the animals, just how you closed the door for us, just how you sent the birds out. Each of these moments from Genesis 6 to Genesis 9 fit inside these two capstones. I will establish my covenant, and behold, here it is. And that's how God works. That's how God works. God demonstrates or promises to us and then fulfills those promises and then reminds us of those promises. Noah was not surprised at this point, or he shouldn't have been, I should say. God establishes covenants. But just because it's not new doesn't make this less significant. Please don't hear me saying that, that this doesn't matter because he's already said it. No, anytime God makes a declaration, anytime God makes a promise, it is important. The fact that the creator God would enter into a covenant with mankind at all is astonishing. God intimately cares about his people. He's not just there disengaged. He makes promises and then fulfilled them. Which, if you think about it, would have been a great relief for Noah and for his family. Put yourself in their shoes. What are you doing next time it rained? Probably terrified. You're probably terrified. What if that rain lasted longer than a day? Uh-oh. Is this a repeat God? 
Like, am I outside the ark this time instead of inside the ark? Do I get to be saved? You said you wouldn't do this, but mm, that was a long time in that ark. I mean, there had to have been some degree of, I don't want to say questioning God, but some degree of, here we go again. But starting the story of Noah with God's promise of covenant, and then incapping the story of the flood with God's promise of covenant, Noah should have been able to say when those doubts came, when those fears um, swelled up in him, but my God is a promise-keeping God. But my God bore me and my family and the creatures upon the ark and kept us safe and landed us here and gave us this promise. So therefore, while I am nervous, I will trust God. God's covenant is an assurance, if you will, that he is a God that can be trusted and that he is a God that will care for his people. So what is included? What are the benefits we see? Well, one of the benefits is that this covenant is for all creation. God says repeatedly it will be for Noah, for Noah's family, for their descendants, and for all living creatures. He says, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. The whole earth in its totality would not be flooded again as it was in the days of Noah. Now, God is not saying that floods would not happen. There will be floods, there has been floods, and there will continue to be floods. But a global flood, that which we saw in the days of Noah, will not occur again. That is God's promise. And so that is one of the provisions. Related to it is our second provision. That is... Creation, including man, would be given a place in which to grow. Life will continue. How do we know that? Because if you look at this passage, it speaks of generations. It speaks of future. It speaks of you, your children, your descendants. It speaks of all creation. God can't make that promise if there's not people to confirm that promise. And so God is saying, I will provide a space for life. Our very existence affirms we today are an affirmation of this promise. Because here we are living. We're living. We're alive. The world is not flooded. It may be damp, but it's not flooded. Creatures, creation is alive. As you leave today, look outside. There's trees, there's birds, there's animals. There's all sorts of things running around, and they live. So here we are, several thousand years later, and God is still reminding us, I promised it, and it is so. And so one of the most important things we, we need to take away anytime there's a covenant between God and people or between God and creation is, is it still in place? Is he still holding it up? If not, if God's violated it, he can't be trusted. But if it is, that's a testimony to who he is, to his character, and our need for him. Now, while this covenant does have a broad application, it, it does speak to all of creation, it does speak to all of humanity and all of the descendants, there is also some narrow aspects to that. 
Um, specifically, there are promises to Noah. Namely, and we just mentioned this, there will be generations. Therefore, they will have children. There will be children's children, and children's children's children, and so on and so forth. They will again produce life. But don't forget that this is a fulfillment of a previous covenant agreement. This is a fulfillment of what God said to Adam and Eve. And so Noah, if you will, is, is a springboard of further down the path of history from that promise to the seed of the woman. I will give you a child who will crush the head of the serpent. One of your seed, one of your descendants will destroy Satan in the end. Well, when God says to Noah, there will be life, not only is he promising life to Noah, he's promising fulfillment of that covenant. Again, anytime you find a covenant in Scripture, you've got to ask, is God still keeping it? If the answer is no, he can't be trusted, and we need to find something else to do. But if the answer is yes, and by the way, it's yes, every time, he can be worshipped and praised. We can listen to his word, and we can believe it for our lives. And so God promises. God promises life. God promises future life. God promises a withholding of the great flood upon the earth ever again. And don't you think this would have been on the minds of Noah and his family? Sin and rebellion had just caused a cataclysmic level flood. Wouldn't you long for the fulfillment of Adam and Eve's promise? Wouldn't you be looking for that descendant, that son, to crush the serpent, to undo the curse, to make all things new. The flood offers perspective just as much as it offers promise. God had not forgotten Adam and Eve. God would not go back on his word. And in case Noah and his family did not get the picture clearly, God gives them a sign. The covenant sign. The sign of the rainbow in the sky after a rain. So let's look at our second section of the text and see why it's significant. We've talked about what has been provided. Let's now look at what signifies or gives a sign for us of that provision. And a significant part of any covenant is the covenant sign. This was an important part of the ceremony. This is given for all parties to remember what has been promised and what they had gone through. Let's take a brief moment and look at a few places in Scripture where we get covenant and covenant sign and see how intimately together they are tied. If we were to continue in the story in Genesis, and, and Lord willing, at, at some point we will pick back up with Genesis 12 and following. Um, shortly after 11, we, we get to the story of Abraham. And we would find that God enters into covenant with him. And with him, he's given a sign. The sign of the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. He was promised in his old age to father a nation greater than could be counted. He and his wife would have children, though they had been barren until this point. And through this would come more descendants than could be counted or numbered, more than the sand on the shore or the stars upon the heavens. However, they doubted. There is a moment, a, a questioning of God. And, and so to symbolize this promise, 
And, and I, 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 I'm going to try not to be crass, but in almost comedic fashion, circumcision was instructed upon the males in this line. Now think about this. Again, I apologize, but this needs to be said. Because of the sign and where it was given, every time Abraham and his wife engaged in procreation, every time their descendants engaged in that act, they would have physically been reminded of the covenant. They had to have. It was required. It was necessary. And there's God saying, I told you so. Every single time, for their generations after them, I told you so. The very act needed to produce children would be a remembrance of God saying, I told you, you shall have children. And again and again and again, through generation, through generation, this would be a, a unique feature of the Jewish people that would set them apart and would remind them that God keeps his promises. And as it continued on, this really became a defining feature of the people of Israel. It, it really did set them apart from other nations. Another place that we could go to talk about covenant and, and covenant signs would be the New Testament. And, um, and if shortly, or in a little bit, um, we will get to communion, if the Lord wills. And communion, communion, we have the cup, we have the bread, and they are signs. Signs of the covenant. The body and blood of Christ. Body broken and the cup, the blood poured out. While we reject the notion that these objects literally become the body and blood of Christ, however, as signs, they point to, like a sign, it points to what took place. And we remember Christ died for us. As we partake of that meal, we spiritually interact, relate to Jesus himself and what he did on our behalf. We could also look to baptism. In baptism, the, the sign of water. And it serves, um, well, there's many reminders, but two reminders that the water serves. In sprinkling the water upon a child or individual, it represents or signifies the sprinkling of blood upon the altar for forgiveness of sins of the people. It also symbolizes ritual washing in which a person was made clean before they went into worship of God. Each of these acts reminds us of our need for God's cleansing, for God's saving, for God making us whole, for God washing us. Our shorter catechism states it well when it says this. It says, Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost does signify or sign and seal our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. When you have a covenant sign, it's intimately tied to that which we're called to remember and that which has happened. So with all of that as a backdrop, what about the sign we find in our passage this morning? Well, God says, this is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The rainbow was given to humanity to remind them of this covenant promise to promote life 
and not destroy it again via the flood. And when does it come? After rain. After rain, that which caused, partially caused the flood, God signs, I won't drown the earth again in its totality. Every time we see a rainbow, we should think about God's provision for his people and his commitment to not destroy the world in that way again. And it's for all humanity, not just the elect, although often people do not understand or appreciate what it is for. We know this because certain groups use it as a symbol of pride and freedom when it's really a symbol of God's judgment and God's mercy and our need for him. Now, it's interesting that the Hebrew word here is bow, and that word can have two meanings. It can be rainbow, so the uh, symbol we see in the sky, or you can create um, uh, through prisms and, and things of that nature. But it can also mean bow, as in weapon of war. And, and some commentators, there's a bit of debate about this, but I actually believe that this is a both-and moment. This is a both-and in that not only is this the, the actual, literal, you know, um, different color arc that we see, but this is also that weapon of war. And in that, what I believe God is saying is he would not strike the earth again in that manner. He is hanging up his weapon of destruction in the flood. He is hanging up his war instrument with the water. And not again would he strike the earth. It's a mercy and a reminder. And we should praise God when we see this symbol in the sky. And remember that it is closely tied to judgment via flooding. And sometimes this is hard for us to appreciate um, because um, of our modern ability to understand weather and to look ahead and to make predictions. I know we like to give weather casters a hard time. Um, at least I do anyway. I really think it's, it's the one profession. If you're like batting 50, you're doing great. Um, and that's all you've got to ever say is there's a 50% chance of anything, and then you're right. Um, and I like to joke about that. But the ability they have to, to forecast and to understand patterns and, and to do what they do, um, it saves lives and it's a benefit. And, and I, I say all of what I said in jest because I really respect their profession. They would not have had any of that in this time. And so storms could have come up quickly. They could have, uh, they could have appeared unexpectedly. They, they could have lasted for weeks at a time and not known that this was a, uh, a climate phenomenon that just happens this time of year. And um, so there would always have been this tension between uh, the people of the earth uh, and uh, the weather patterns. And yet God again and again and again put the rainbow in the sky. It's not even that he did it here and then stopped. It's not even that he said, all right, Noah, make sure you see it. We're good. We're good. All right. And then never again. To this day, we see the rainbow as a reminder. So even if we couldn't predict the weather, even if we couldn't look forward, even if we couldn't cast out what would happen and seasonal changes and differences, when we see the rainbow, we can rest assured that God is not going to totally flood the earth again. And so to this day, the sign stands. 
And what is truly remarkable about this passage, and I alluded to it at the beginning, is that it goes both ways. The text makes it clear that just as much as this is for us, it's also for God. In fact, we, we read, When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all the flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So just as much as it's a reminder for man, it's also a reminder for God. Now, why would God need a reminder? You might find yourself saying, wait a minute, are you, are you challenging the mind of God? Does he need these things? Well, no, he does not. But as God often does, he often does things for our benefit. Why did he rest on the seventh day? Because he knew we were going to need rest. God acts in ways that are glorifying to himself and beneficial to us as his people. And I say that thanks to this. We know ourselves. We know our nature. We know the promises that God's made. We've heard them. We've read them. And yet at the same time, we know our ability to break them. We know our ability to go, that is right, but I'm not going to do it. I know what you said, but here's how, I'm gonna, how it's going to play out. We are covenant breakers. We are by nature, by our sin nature, very good at falling away. And so when God says this, that is an assurance to us. Because what is more beneficial? For God to say, here's the covenant, here's the covenant sign, good luck. Or for God to say, here's the covenant, here's the covenant sign, and I'm going to remember it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to fulfill it. Every time I see the bow, not I, but God, when God sees the bow in the sky, he will remember his promise. What is greater, that we hear his promise and remember it, or that he hears his promise and remember it? That God remembers Because God is loving and forgiving and patient and understanding. And God constantly is is bringing us back and bringing us back and bringing us back. And so what he tells us here effectively is this covenant will be kept. He is saying it will not go astray. All covenant moments in scripture point us to God. And really, you could say all covenant moments in Scripture point us to Christ. Jesus took the wrath of God and bore the flood of God's judgment on the cross that we might live in mercy. Jesus endured the flood that we might safely stand on dry ground. Jesus brings, purchases restoration for the earth and for those who trust in him by faith. Go to the book of Revelation, those latter chapters, those last three chapters, and what happens to creation? It is remade. And so here, the promise, I will not flood the earth again, I will keep it. We get to Revelation, and Jesus brings new heavens and new earth, and he restores all things to their, to their glorious pre-sin state and elevates them to the praise of the Father. He purchases And fulfills this covenant in himself. We know that we will be given eternal bodies. P. 
people will continue eternally. We will last eternally, every one of us, and either sit in God's rest or sit in God's judgment. This is afforded to us by the life, by the death, and by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's only by His perfect obedience that we are sheltered from the storm if we but rest in Him. And all of this is a fulfillment of the covenant promise made here in Genesis chapter 9. And then one last time, lest we did not hear it clearly, God ends in verse 17. This is a sign that I have established, sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth, lest we forget. Now it is good to ask ourselves this morning, how does this covenant promise affect us? How are we to apply this? How should we live it out in our lives today? And I offer three points of application. First, it is important and necessary to remember that Noah, his family, and the animals were saved through God's mercy. The covenant reminded them of what has happened and promised them moving forward that life would continue. And we live under that same promise. God saved them by his mercy, and it is only by his mercy that they live. Secondly, this must drive us to God. We cannot read a passage such as this and think that we are so great and so wonderful and so awesome and that we can escape God's wrath. We need God's mercy each and every day. We need to look at him and have him look at us And to hear God say, I will keep the covenant between me and you, thus assuring that it will be kept and it will be fulfilled. Again, a fulfillment of this passage. I will remember my promise. And then thirdly, every time we see the bow among the clouds after a storm has passed, we need to thank God that he's given us another day on this earth. For each day is a gift. We must not take it for granted, just like the people did in the day of the flood. For on the very day that the floods came, they were living their lives and sinning and rejecting and rebelling against God down to the very end. And so I implore with you to commit your life to God, to live a fulfilling life through His promises. Remember those promises. Go to God as your source of hope and strength and salvation and be thankful for each and every blessing He bestows upon you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a weighty passage. The promises are great, but that just reminds us and and calls to us the greatness of our Savior. The fact that you preserve life. The fact that you remember us. The fact that the covenant sign still stands, all speaks to your nature Oh Lord, may each and everyone here and those joining us online, may they rest in your finished work alone. May they not find comfort in their own works, their own deeds, their own actions. But may they place their hope in you. For while judgment via the flood will not come upon this earth again, judgment is coming. It is yet already here. Help us to trust in you and you alone. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.